Good morning, church family. As Tim said last week, this is certainly a strange situation to be preaching to you from the living room of the parsonage, sitting in front of a fire again. Let me begin by saying, I miss you. Um, I miss you all. We, we care for you deeply. We hope and trust that you are doing well, um, wherever you might be. Let's begin by praying. You are sovereign, Lord. We ask for your healing across our land. Shelter us, Lord, in your wings. And God, we trust that you are going to turn good somehow from the midst of these challenging times. We turn to your words this morning. Illuminate your words for us as a church. Let us hear what you need us to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever wondered why we are called community church? I mean, community is obviously the adjective describing uh, our church. But why are we called community church? Is it simply describing the reality that we are located in a neighborhood of East Gloucester and that we have a, a commitment to this community that we are located in? I like to think that it's actually... Um, that as well as an aspect of our identity, of who we are, an adjective describing something about the way in which we are, the way in which we act towards one another, that we are a community. Well, when you break down that word community, it actually finds its roots in, in a couple Latin words put together. Com, meaning together, and munitas, meaning strengthened. The idea is that we're strengthened in numbers, strengthened by being together. It's a beautiful idea. And it sounds really nice, doesn't it? But what's not captured in the Latin is the messy nature of community. And it can be messy. Messy like a community kitchen <laughs> with all of its spills and mishaps, and sticky residue left on everything. Community can be messy. And to be honest, it's one of the reasons why I actually really like to call us something else that's really messy. A church family. Family. This morning, you're likely stuck with your families, gathering together to worship, sharing in your home with your children or siblings, uh, perhaps your parents. Maybe you've connected more with your family over the phone or over uh, video chat this past week. We're all spending more and more time with family in this current situation and in this season. And this perhaps has been challenging. Maybe it's been joyful. I hope so. But a question I want to ask us this morning as we begin is, does family life ever feel like it gets in the way of growing as a follower of Jesus? Before I became a, a family man, I, uh, I still struggled to spend time with Jesus, but I could go to bed when I wanted. I could get up when I wanted, when I set my alarm, sometimes. And certainly I was not perfectly um, disciplined or rhythm in my time spent with the Lord. Um, and not that things were, were perfect back then, and now they're not. 
but it was different when I became a father, when I had a family, specifically beautiful newborn babies. They tend to encroach on your schedule. Leah and I, we can make the best plans to get up first thing in the morning, to spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, spend time with the Lord. And we might be up every hour on the hour, and our plans are just totally shot at that point. There are mornings when one or both of us maybe have the hopes and plans of spending some quiet time remembering that Jesus is Lord, only to have that quietness totally overrun by kids failing to get along, screaming children, kids trying to communicate their needs. And you can feel like growing as a follower of Jesus is maybe just going to have to be put on hold until my family, fill in the blank, whatever the grass is greener thought might be. And you don't have to have kids to experience this. You can feel this in marriage. You can feel this in caring for your parents, for um, a sibling, or even caring for our church family. Tim and I often joke about how church would be so easy if it wasn't for people. It makes things difficult having to deal with real lives. Things are complicated when you're a church family. Family life in some ways looks like a distraction to me and God, me and Jesus. But is it? Could it be that Jesus knew exactly what it was like to have a family? Could it be that Jesus cared deeply about our families? And could it be that Jesus was making a new family, even in his final moments at the cross? That's exactly what we're going to see this morning as we continue in the series in seven words. And we're up to our fourth word, the fourth saying, Jesus at the cross. Our scripture passage this morning comes from John's Gospel, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Hear God speak through his word. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Woman, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. The first thing that we need to see from this word, this saying of Christ at the cross, is that Jesus had a family. When we think about the reality that God's ultimate plan of rescue and reconciliation involved the sovereign God of the universe humbling himself and taking on human flesh, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around the reality that that meant that Jesus was once a baby. Jesus was once an eight-year-old. He knew the love of a mother, and he loved his mother deeply. This is so hard for us to get now and in centuries past. It's funny because in, in uh, the medieval ages, there were a handful of what are called um, apocryphal books that were written 
that speculated on some of these things, and I've read a handful of them, and, and there's some very interesting stories about Jesus playing with other kids and them getting hurt and then him miraculously healing them um, as an eight-year-old. Because people try to come to terms with this reality of what was it like for Jesus to be a kid? What was it like to be the mother of the Messiah? But Jesus had a family. He also had siblings. Not just a mother, but he had siblings. The New Testament doesn't give us a lot of details about Jesus' brothers, his siblings. But we do know that at least up until this moment at the cross, they were not the biggest fans of what Jesus was doing. In fact, John 7, 5 gives us the details as to why they were not at the cross. It says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Yet. It's an amazing and powerful testimony that early on in the book of Acts, which details the church immediately after the resurrection, two of Jesus' own blood brothers are listed as the pillars and leaders in the church. Jesus had siblings. He grew up with them. He loved them deeply. He knew what it was like to have a brother. But we actually even know a little bit about Jesus' extended family as well. We know about John the Baptist, his cousin. Well, there's actually another John who likely is another cousin of Jesus, and it's the author of this book. When Jesus saw the disciple whom he loved, the beloved disciple, as he's known, this is actually John's way of describing himself. It wasn't that John believed that he was any more loved than any of the other disciples. But this was his way of identifying who he was, of describing who he was, who he knew himself to be. He was one who was loved by Jesus. Well, he's the author of the Gospel of John. But he was also very likely Jesus' cousin. You know, looking at parsing out the different narratives of the cross of the Gospel accounts, it's interesting because there's this character, Salome, who is listed as the wife of Zebedee. And Zebedee is known to be the father of two of Jesus' disciples, James and this very John. Well, if you parse through the different cross accounts, it becomes clear that Salome was likely the sister or sister-in-law of Mary, the mother of Jesus, which would, if you're following the family tree at home, that would make John Jesus' cousin. Makes a couple of the different texts in the Gospels make a lot of sense. Well, we don't have much more details than this about Jesus, his family life, but we do know that Jesus did in fact have a family and he was well acquainted with the very real, minute details of what it was like to be a part of a family. What does this say about him? That he knows and understands the challenges and the joys of family life? Jesus had a family. Well, we also see through this text that Jesus cares about our families. Jesus understood what was going to happen and how it was going to be a very real and devastating situation for those who loved him. Consider his mother, Mary. He knew the torment that it must have been for her to be standing there watching her eldest son 
hang on the cross. His mother who had received in faith the word from God that she was going to carry the Messiah, the chosen one. But remember exactly what she had heard from the angel. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. What must she have thought, knowing this promise from her son's very birth, as she saw Jesus hanging on the cross? What a devastating moment. Nothing could have prepared her for this moment. The agony she must have been going through to see her son hanging there, but also to wonder, how could this be? And at this very moment, the rest of Jesus' siblings did not believe. She was alone in Jerusalem. She was likely widowed at this moment. There's a very real concern. What is going to happen to Mary? And we see exactly how Jesus cares for her in that moment. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Jesus cared for his mother deeply. How about John? His cousin, potentially, and his beloved friend. But John was going to be devastated as well. Losing the one he had followed, losing his dear friend. John was going to be devastated. He loved Jesus and absolutely knew that Jesus loved him deeply and fully. Perhaps no other moment more so than this moment right here. That even as Jesus was on the cross, taking the punishment that he knew in his own heart, he deserved, not Jesus. Jesus was rescuing him. And as he was doing so, he gasped out and said, you still have a family. You are not going to be alone. Mother, care for him as your own son. You see, Jesus cares about our families. We can't confuse Jesus' other teachings on discipleship that say, leave your father and mother to follow Jesus. They're not opposed to families. That would be a misreading of those texts. That's not the point of what Jesus was saying in those places. Jesus cares deeply for our families. And when Jesus saw his mother, he could not but think of the days ahead for Mary and for John. So Jesus committed Mary to John's care and John into Mary's, that they would be there for one another in their grieving. And there's something just absolutely infinitely moving about this picture of Jesus Christ in this moment. That he paid not attention to his own sorrow and pain as he was being tortured on the cross. But he noticed even the potential for isolation, the potential for loneliness. He knew the grief and the mourning of those who are watching him. And he cared deeply for them. That is who our God is. 
that even in the moment of cosmic battle, he did not forget the simple things that lay near to home. To the end of the day, even on the cross, Jesus was thinking more of the sorrow of others and the pain of others than his own sorrow. This is a moving moment. One that displays that Jesus is not only acquainted with our joys and sorrows and challenges with being parts of families, but he deeply cares for the health of our families. But you know there's something more here too. And the question is, perhaps, why do we have this text? It's a beautiful moment. We have it because Jesus said it and because John was there and he captured it and he's the author. Yes. But is there also something of deep symbolic meaning here as well? And I think there really is. And we cannot miss this this morning. Jesus is making a new family. Jesus wasn't just demonstrating his love for his blood relatives, for those who were closest to him. He was demonstrating the reality that when we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, he is actually opening the door for a new reality, a new family. It's interesting actually that the language of our text this morning is similar to adoption language. And scholars have found that uh, even crucified victims had the right at the cross to be able to make one final will and testament in that moment, even from the cross. And in some ways, Jesus now is making use of that right. And he's making one sort of final statement. And he's using, actually, adoption language according to um, the law of the day. And he places his mother under the protection of the Apostle John. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. But it wasn't just the adoption of Mary by John and vice versa that Jesus has in mind here that is on display in this text. The cross is actually the moment where the dividing barrier and line between sinful fallen man and perfect creator God was wiped away once and for all and forever. It was utterly torn down. And it freed the way for all of mankind to have access to a relationship with God Almighty, to be called his sons and his daughters, to have access to the greatest adoption. As Paul puts it in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. And shortly thereafter, in that same passage, Paul continues on and further and describes that what Jesus did at the cross wasn't just open the way for access for us to be known and called as sons and daughters of God but it actually creates a new relationship between us with one another. For Jesus himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we all have access to the Father 
by one Spirit. And that's why I began this morning by saying, hello, church family. Because in Jesus, what He has accomplished for us right now, He has brought us into a new family. From every corner of the earth, from every race, ethnicity, from every class, rank, and disposition. We can hear Jesus call out to us from the cross saying, Son, daughter, mother, father, friend, cousin, stranger. Behold your new family. So what do we do with this? Begin by naming the elephant in the room. The reality that in this current moment in time, many of us are gathered at home in a way that's quite different from normal. We're gathered with our families, sort of hunkered down, doing our part by becoming highly acquainted with the couch and with one another. And I want you to hear me say this. Your care for your family is worship. To sacrifice for your family. To care for their emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being is not time wasted. It is not less urgent or less important than spending time with Jesus. Let me ask you this. How could you, in our socially distant moment, be emotionally and spiritually intimate with your families? I'm speaking to parents, to children, to siblings, to adult children, to grandparents, grandchildren, all of us together in this way. It may feel like real life is on halt right now. And yet this is perhaps an opportunity. There's perhaps a new door that has been opened in a way for us to remember perhaps what's of the utmost importance. The primacy of our love that's needed for the families. Of our call to our families. But even as I say that, I am keenly aware this morning of even how that might have hurt as I just said that phrase. There might be some of us in our church family that are feeling um, desperately isolated and alone in this season. And I know that our text has something for you explicitly to hear today. And I do not want you to miss it. We need to wrestle with it together. And it's not complicated, but it needs to be heard. You are not alone. I want you to wrestle with the words of Jesus on the cross that even as he was being tortured for our iniquities, even as he was undergoing the cosmic weight of the sin of all mankind, he noticed the potential for loneliness, the potential for isolation, and said, you are not alone. I am making all things new, even making a new family. Church, we have an obligation to both Ask for help when we are feeling isolated to be clear 
what our own needs are, and also to be the type of church and the type of family that will be willing to go above and beyond in this season. This maybe feels like it's blocked right now by our current moment. The ability to, to reach out in meaningful and impactful ways. But I think the reality is, is that with actually a little creativity, we can actually maybe be more connected than ever. Let me give you an example. This week we started a, a community prayer wall on the church website. And I know that this is a small deal. It's not a huge thing. And it's not going to change things overnight. But it's an opportunity. It's a place where maybe you can share with one another the very real deep prayer concerns and updates, things that are going on in one another's lives. This is maybe an opportunity for us to be reminded that though we should be six feet apart from one another, and we should, we have the intimacy of prayer with one another. And the reality that we are united in Christ in a bond that brings us united to the very core of our beings with each other. That is the bond that we have in Jesus Christ as a family. It's an opportunity here as well in this moment. So what is it we see today? I think we need to be a community church, to be a family church. That's what Jesus called us to in the midst of his suffering, even in that final moments at the cross. We don't do this to earn his favor or to earn his love, but out of gratitude and out of a desire to imitate him, we will ask for grace with one another, that he would fill us with all love and wisdom to be able to care for each other in ways that are meaningful, in ways that are real, that meet the very urgent needs of this week. And all of this is an opportunity for worship. Worship in how you care for your family today. And worship as you dig deeper into our church family as well. I want to close with a passage from John, the same John, the beloved disciple, the author of our text this morning. He also wrote a couple letters to the church. First, second, and third John. And in his letter, some years later, in the first letter of John, he wrote, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We are in a moment of very real, tangible needs within our church family here. And as we continue in our Lenten season of remembering Jesus on the cross, may the love that he first demonstrated for us lead us and guide us and sustain us and drive us to love in our homes, to love our families, to love over the phone, to love over a video chat, to love by keeping socially distant from one another but being spiritually and emotionally intimate 
with each other. Let's be a family, church. Let's be a family to the glory of God Almighty. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reality that even in this moment, we can still gather together as a church body, though separated in our homes. God, we trust that you have this whole thing still together, still held in your arms, that you love us, that you still love each and every one of us. We know this. We see this as we look to the cross in this season. We're thankful that that's even where we are, Lord. Looking to the cross, looking to the reality that you are a God of rescue. So God, I ask that you would stir in our hearts this morning maybe a sense of gratitude and inspiration to care well for our families in this moment, to care well knowing that you had a family, that you cared for your family. But also, Lord, may we step into more and more the reality that you've called us into a church family to care deeply for one another. So God, I pray that you would be present this morning with those who are feeling alone. God, may they know deeply in their hearts that they are not alone. Lord, may you guide us into wisdom to know how to care for each other well. These are new and challenging times. But you are the God of all wisdom, so we turn to you, Jesus. Guide us and lead us. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.